all, everything in the Old Testament was fulfilled. Right. And ushers in the new covenant, right? Okay. So, Jesus was the last because he ushered in with his death the old covenant. That's part of what he's saying with the last Adam. Yes, it's the idea of going from the flesh to the spirit. Okay? Yes, it's the idea of the scriptures kind of describe it, and I think they describe it for us more than obviously for God, but the scriptures describe it as our sin gets rolled forward to the date of. For those who, were, who died before Jesus was sacrificed, our sin basically gets rolled forward to the sacrifice, right? For those of us who die after Jesus' sacrifice, our sin is basically rolled back because, again, God is outside of time and he does it once for all sin. So, I don't know if there's anybody who wants to make any other comments about the last Adam before we move on, but... Yeah, go ahead. Well... The channel of prayer changes upon Christ's resurrection. No more of those sacrifices of all these things just for a one nation. Mm -hmm. We can go directly to God and we have an intercessor. Not that it, we don't, people prayed in the Old Testament, we know that. We also know all, all these things that after the law seem to happen and those, those walls are gone. Yes. Our communication with God, we're more like not totally like it, but more like the garden than we definitely were before he died. Yeah. yeah. Who makes the sacrifice for you today? Is it the priest? Christ. Christ. And? What did you say? Say it louder. I heard it through the speaker, so. I said, well, the Holy Spirit intercedes and dwells within us. It's, yeah. It's just hard to explain the community. It is. It's just. Well, the, the justification for the Spirit being able to come into us is because of Christ's sacrifice. Right. The renewing of our spirit is through His Spirit. Right. But there's also another person involved. Right? And it's not the priest. It's not the preacher. Right? It's each of us individually. Because there's still a choice that has to be made. So, that these are all interesting concepts because... Again, going back to what you're talking about with the old covenant and the laws and all that, a lot of that being removed, right? You have to go to a priest to make the atoning sacrifice. Now you make that decision on your own. The scriptures say that we, Jesus becomes the high priest for all of us, right? But we become a royal priesthood. priesthood. We're all priests. Go ahead. And that's indicated when the veil was rent. That's right. On, that, on, on the day he died. is Another thing that happened, right? Yeah, the Holy of Holies, where, Christ, where God dwells, is now open to everyone, to everyone, not just the high priest. That's right. That's right. All right, anything else? See, I knew last Adam was going to be a good one. I knew it was, because there's so much going on there that he's trying to summarize in just that one thing. Well, let me just give you this idea, too. We were talking about how one was flesh and one was spirit, but... Here's the truth, too. Adam failed, right? Adam sinned. That sin led to separation from God, right? That sin led to everyone else sinning, and that sin ultimately led to everyone else dying, right? So that, in that way, that simple way, Adam failed. In the same way, Jesus gave us all victory, right? Jesus came and fulfilled everything that he was supposed to, everything that was foretold before us. Just another way to look at it, too. Pretty much saying the same thing we already said.
The, the other parallel that came to mind was the first death and the second death. Yeah. And, and that kind of has a parallel to the, 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 the first life and the second life. And the fact that Adam brought in the first death. Mm -hmm. Christ conquered the second death, mm -hmm. which is spiritual. Right. Which is the one we're, according to Scripture, according to Jesus, right? That's the one we should be worried about. It's true. Somebody raise their hand over there? No? I'm just seeing things. Okay. All right, here's the next one. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, in this, I think he has two things there that he is being um, given titles of. And the first one is advocate, and the second one is propitiation. So let's start with advocate. Why is it important that Jesus is our advocate? Why do you need an advocate? It's one who pleads your case. Yeah. So it's somebody who knows the law and can defend you against the law, right? Because not everybody knows the law, for example, the way a lawyer would, right? That's why we get a lawyer if we get in trouble or if something's happened that we need to get ratified, right? Okay. Go ahead. Well, the advocate is the one who represents you in front of the judge. Yeah. Who's the judge? God the Father. Yeah, the Father. It's interesting. I always love the idea that Jesus is going to be on my legal team in front of God on the day of judgment. Like, that's going to be a pretty solid success, right? There's certain lawyers that never lose a case. They just, they know how to win. And, um, I heard that. Um, so, advocate is important because we need it because at the end of the day, who separated who in the relationship? Who made the choice to defy the law? Who made the choice to be in the situation that we are all in, which is in desperate need of the blood of Christ because all sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Very important to understand that Jesus is your advocate. He's your advocate. Did you break the law? Yeah. yeah. How much of it? Doesn't matter. Did Doesn't matter. If you break a little bit, you've broke all of it, right? The scriptures make that clear. You broke all the law, and he's still going to come to your aid, and he's actually... He's actually going to win your case. Pretty important. What about propitiation? My favorite word in the whole Bible to say. <laughs> propitiation. I, uh, I went to Merriam-Webster to just give you the definition. One thing I will tell you about Merriam-Webster is they sure seem to violate the rule I was taught in like second grade, which is you don't ever use the word to define the word, but it's there. Um, but I think it gives us a little bit of an understanding of propitiation. It's not something that I think we probably use in our regular speech at home. So it says this. The first definition is it's the act of gaining or regaining the favor or goodwill of someone or something. And then the second one is something that propitiates or appeases specifically an atoning sacrifice. So why is it important that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins? Why is that important? 
By the way, Steve, are we getting any comments at all? Okay, just making sure. I don't want to skip anybody out there who might be trying to comment. He's the only one who could pay the price. He's the only one. You couldn't do it yourself? Nope. Why not? Because I'm not perfect. Yeah, you're not perfect. Mike? Pro the word propitiation is one of the, it's a new American standard used as it a lot. It means that you've done something that fulfill the obligation yeah. or an atoning sacrifice is what the NIV uses. Yeah. Uh, let's say you, you owed somebody $150 and you had 130 he says, well, that'll do. That's the idea of propitiation. Mm -hmm. For us, we fall short and Jesus says, what I did is the total pay. So you don't owe anything when you get there because of what Jesus did. And it takes his sacrifice instead of ours. Okay. So I think Isaiah 59 clears this up a little bit. I think it's interesting that um, again, this is another scripture that's going to wrap into another name here in a little bit which is why I, I could have picked a lot of them just like Mike was saying. I could. There's actually multiple places where we could have went to to kind of look at this and dive deeper, but this makes it really plain to me, okay? And it's straight from Isaiah, straight from the Word of God. This is what it says, verse 1. Behold, this is Isaiah 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Other interpretations, even though this is my favorite one being the SV, other interpretations say his, his arm is not short, so short that it can't reach out to save you, okay? Um, but this one uses the hand, just want to make that clarification. Or his ear dull that it cannot hear. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not here. So there's the problem, right? With the reality of sin and righteousness and evil, right? That being the reality uh, that creates the situation of sin, we have a problem that we run into. And the problem is, is that there still has to be justice. Okay? Very important part of the scriptures here. There still has to be justice. And because of our sin, we've caused separation between us and God. And here's the truth. We can't make it up. We can't. Once we've separated, once we've become unperfect, imperfect, you can't become perfect again. Okay? And that's what this scripture is trying to talk about. It's trying to say, look, you've created separation to the point where God can't even hear you anymore. Does God hear people when they're in sin? If you cry out to God, is he not going to hear you because you're a sinner? If you're not if, in Christ. If you, if you have a hearing problem, you need a hearing aid. Okay. Okay. What were you going to say? I said if you're not in Christ, he doesn't hear you. If you're not in Christ, he doesn't hear you. Okay. So, the only way to regain that connection 
is through Jesus. We created the separation. We created the issue in communication by denying the law of God. Okay? By denying the law of the creator. And justice is an extremely important part of that process. Which is why two weeks ago we talked about that scripture in Revelation where all the heavenly beings were standing around crying because there was a seal that could not be broken, which meant that man was going to be condemned until Jesus steps on the stage and breaks the seal, and then all of heaven starts to celebrate because they realize the battle had been won. There was real justice. There's still going to be. This is important, too. We are living in a world where people are starting to question if there will be hell. I've heard many Christians say to me, if God is so loving and so good, how could a loving, good God actually condemn anyone to hell? How, would that, how could he still be good after that? He doesn't condemn you. You, hey, condemn, you condemn yourself. yourself. That's very good. That's very good. I say all the time, and you guys will know that I say this all the time, that the only person that can get in the way of you getting to heaven is who? Yourself. You. That's it. He doesn't condemn you. Your own actions speak against you, right? Just like the blood that was on the ground with Cain and Abel was speaking out to God against him, right? Against Cain. This goes back to your propitiation verse, too. Okay. We can't get there. Mm -hmm. But if he accepts Jesus' sacrifice, we can. That's right. That's the only way. And when I say, and this, is, this is, I guess, um, it's important to clarify because I said this earlier. And, it, and when I said it, in the context I said it, it's accurate, but it's also not accurate at the same time. That makes sense. Because we are perfect in Christ. Right? We are perfect in Christ. Perfect. But only because of Christ. Perfected through yeah. Christ. Well, if you're perfected, I mean, you're perfect. <laughs> Hey, if I, if I draw a circle on a paper and I think it's perfect, it's perfect. <laughs> Go ahead, Sue. Are we perfect or is it that God sees us as perfect because we're inside of Christ and all he sees is Christ? Well, certainly our actions are not perfect. But I think 1 John chapter 1 states that as we go to him in repentance over and over again, all of our sin is continually being washed away. So the second we sin, if you think about it, it is impossible. One, how many people would be confident to say they know everything about the law of God? Right. Me neither. That's my hands down too, just to make sure. Okay? So it is almost impossible. In fact, I will say it is impossible for us to follow perfectly. Go ahead. Are you using perfected in the same way you would use rendered blameless? Yes, exactly the same way. Okay. Again, we are not perfect. And actually, what I'm trying to say with that idea of, you got something, Steve? I see you looking at me. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought you were waiting for a comment. I'm sorry. Um, the idea that the lamb, okay, because again, we know God is outside of time. The story, if you will, the creation of it and everything that exists that controls it is outside of time. But there is a time frame and that lamb is coming at the end of time. Okay? That lamb, that lamb happens at the end of time in the narrative for us. Okay? I, I would also say that 
It happened probably almost at the exact same time that he died on the cross. And now I'm getting confusing, aren't I? <laughs> so, did I answer your question? Maybe? Oh, okay. Sorry. Okay, so this is just to remind me to ask, make sure there's no other comments about that advocate and... All right. Here's the next one. We're, we're uh, getting towards the end here. You guys have been great, by the way. I love all the comments. Love it. Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and, was, and they esteemed him not. We esteemed him not. So we know, because Isaiah 53, we know that that's, that whole passage is about Jesus. So the two I wanted to look at were uh, arm of the Lord and man of sorrows. So what do you think about when you think about Jesus being the arm of the Lord? What do you think about? Do you ever think about Jesus being the arm of the Lord? Because I can tell you this. I was actually shocked. And, and I read the Bible a pretty good amount. But I was actually shocked at how many times Jesus is called the arm of the Lord in the Old Testament. It's actually, I didn't know it before this study. Mike? The arm of the Lord usually is a demonstration of God's power. Absolutely. Absolutely, right? You use your arm to control things, to keep things away, to put things up or down, right? It's definitely about God's power. And even more so to me, it's about God's control. Right? Yeah. Go ahead. Would it fit in also with what was in 59 that you, wrote, you read as far as... Is his arm so short? Yes. That he can't reach it? Yes, I agree 100%. That's why I said that earlier. Yep. Okay. You're such a good student. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bring, I agree. And, and that, I think that scripture specifically, Isaiah 59, the reason why I put it on there, like I said, one, it shows the separation that we cause between God um, with our disobedience, but also it's encouraging for people who struggle. Okay, and I don't know if you have people in your life that struggle, that just have a hard time getting out of the muck. Okay, but there's a, a it, when you're that person, you don't feel worthy of salvation. You never do. You get on the path and you start to fall off, and then you get back on the path and you start to fall. There are people like that. There's a lot of Christians like that. In fact, to an extent, we're all like that, right? I don't want to sit here and try to claim that I'm a uh, infallible or, or not capable of going through my own trials, because I do. But understand, there is nowhere you can go that's too far for God to reach out and bring you back in. It's the parable of the prodigal son, right? That's the whole point of it. He squandered his inheritance. He treated his dad like 
I want your wealth, not your relationship, not your love, right? He took all that money and he ran. The father had no reason except for the love in his own heart to bring him back, to allow him back in. The son was prepared to be a slave in his father's house. It's not how it worked out, though, is it? So important, so important to remember this. Um, for those of us who are mature and are overcoming trial, when we look back at the ones who are younger in their faith, it's important to remember this. When you're in your own trial and you're struggling and you feel like, how can God relate to me in this moment with who I am? Remember this. Remember this. Anybody else want to add anything to that before we move on to man's sorrows? All right. What do you think about man of sorrows? Was Jesus? Did he live a life of sorrow? Was Jesus sad all the time? Is that what it means? Everywhere Jesus went, he was like this. He lived a life of pain and uh, suffering, non-acceptance. Yeah, rejection, right? Yeah. Rejection is big in this. And then the people didn't listen. Mm-hmm. And he's crying over Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. That's very true. He was sad. He was sad. Why would he have been sad? The way people reacted to him. Oh, yeah. For sure. I definitely think... I mean, I can't even pretend to, to know what it was like to have the mind of Christ, but it's like being rejected by your children. I don't think there's probably any worse pain than being rejected by your children. So, he also, um, go ahead. He did a lot of healing, and this is kind of a side part of it. Mm -hmm. As Jesus walked around, he could sense all the suffering yeah. Both in the heart and in the body of people around him. He healed and healed and healed. And I just think about when you know your children are suffering or something, you're trying to do these things, how you feel inside. And he carried that with him, knowing his limited time on the earth. He tried his best to make their physical life better. And I just, I just can't imagine what that would be like to know all that and know you're not going to be able to, you can't heal everybody. And you mm -hmm. I think about that all the time. I'm going to get to you in just a second, Brent. I think about that all the time with the temptations of Jesus. And I always try to figure out, how do you tempt God? You know, that sort of seems silly in a way. Like, you can't tempt God. But if there were to be true temptations, there had to be some sort of tempting part of it for him. And the one on the temple where he says, throw yourself down, the angels will save you, and I'll give the whole world to you. How many of those people at the temple were going to reject it? How many of those people, even with him saving, you know, people throughout all the time with his sacrifice, how many people in the present were going to reject him? How many people, does that, you think that weighed on him a little bit, that he couldn't save the whole world through this process? I think, I think, he, I think he did. And I think that's a very interesting point. Brent? He, even though he had a lot of followers, it, it indicates that he knew their heart. And, and that upset him also. Yeah. Just knowing what he knew, he's like, oh, you're, 
Yeah, I mean, if uh, the apostles knew that Judas liked to steal out of the change purse, you think Jesus knew? Probably first one to know, right? And, and going down the list, I mean, I think about um, um, Lazarus. Thank you. Having a moment there. Think about Lazarus and his sisters and what they said to Jesus. You know? They were heartbroken. Almost feeling betrayed. And they, were betra- they felt betrayed because they said, you could have prevented this. You, th- it wasn't out of lack of faith. They were devastated. They lost their brother. They didn't, you know, they, they didn't want to live without him. And he wept before he rose Lazarus from the dead. You think they rejoiced after that moment? But he took the time to weep with the people because he felt the pain, like you guys are saying. I totally believe that. Can you imagine being an empath and being able to also understand just how much pain all, peop- all people are going through? Yeah, that would be... That's, that's the combination he was. Yeah. He was an empathetic person, a compassionate person, but he knew the pain everybody was going through. Yeah, he knew that what... would make him a man of sorrows. Yeah. The life stories of every person around you. To realize, I bet, I bet a lot of us have really good lives compared to a lot of the people that we see every day. Um, and I can tell you, living in America, you have a really good life compared to the people who live in Honduras. I can tell you that for a fact. Any comments? Nope. All right, we're carrying it in here. They don't want to speak up tonight. Okay, so that is what I imagine God's arm would look like. I have to get a picture of my arm. <laughs> okay. Don't, don't copyright me. All right, this is the last one for tonight. Uh, I think this is probably one of the easier ones we looked at tonight. Um, but I'm interested to hear uh, your thoughts on it. John 15. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. See, now think about that when we were talking about perfect, right? Um, Being perfected. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So what's significant about Jesus being the vine? Eternal life comes through the vine. Yeah, it's about being sustained, right? Okay. What else is significant? Is that all the vine means? Is life. What about growth? What about growth? Does fruit, is, is fruit going to produce itself without the vine? What does the scripture just tell you? Here's the other thing too. And this goes, again, when we're talking about it, we're, it's as difficult as the idea of trying to explain something in time that really isn't restrained by time, okay? Um,
How did you get to where you're Is it by your own choice? By someone who cared. Someone who cared, for sure. To share, to share Christ. Yeah. But when somebody shared that, and then you decided to become that, and you accept Jesus Christ, and you were baptized, and you had your sins washed away, and you received the gift of the Holy Spirit, since we talked so much about Jesus, just felt like I should give you the gospel real quick? Did you just stay there? Did you just stay there? Have you changed any from, from the time you were baptized till now? Probably made tremendous change, most of us, right? Probably tremendous change. I know the path that I was on, it was opposite direction. I won't deny it. But did you make that change? Did you make that change? Here's an interesting thing, you know. We always say that God is one, and that is true, okay? We have one God, right? But it is very interesting to me that there are times where, at least in scriptures, it's recorded, where Jesus, for example, says, I don't know that, right? They asked him, when will you come again? He says, I don't know that. Only the Father knows. In this situation right here with the vine, right? You have God being the one who's going and taking care of and maintaining the vine and the fruit that it produces. And Jesus being the vine. Right? So, are they one? Yes. And I tried to explain that, and I probably should have made a slide again. I didn't really uh, uh, expect to get into tr Trinity stuff again. But... Are they one? Yes. Are they different at the same time? Do they serve different purposes in different situations? Yes. Just like we discussed earlier, right? The Father will be the judge and Jesus will be the advocate. So, I think it's interesting that Jesus gives you the life and even in this passage, God is still giving you the growth. Right? What did Paul say? Paul said, I planted Apollos water and God caused the growth. See, there's something to be said about the relationship that we have with God that's actually changing us in ways that maybe we don't always give God credit for. It, it talks in these, this scripture here about the word working in us. Mm -hmm, absolutely. The word that he has spoken. That's right. Is working within us us to grow and to bear fruit. That's right. Yeah. I mean, what has changed you more than the Word of God in your life? For those of us who are faithful Christians, seriously, what changes you more than the Word of God? You know, I go out on a limb more in my life for the Word of God than anything else. Because it's that important to me. And it, it, ha it has. It hasn't just shaped the way I think. It hasn't just shaped the way I view, but it's also shaped the way I feel. But if I didn't have a relationship with God, if I didn't have that connection with God, the word wouldn't have had the same impact either. Any other comments? No? 
Okay, we got to ride around 40 minutes or so, so y'all did well. I told you I had about 15, 20. We got to 40. That means y'all carried the class. Good job tonight. For all those who are watching, thanks for joining us out there in the cyber world. We'll see you next time.